everyone. Um, my name is Matt Yoder, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you here at Stonebridge this morning to worship Jesus and dig into the Word together. Um, I wanted to show you something first that I found on the internet that's just fun and has little to do with anything. So um, we're talking about peace, close enough, right? But uh, in honor of Star Wars coming out a long time ago in a Galilee far, far away, New Hope Awakens. So shout out to Star Wars nerds out there. Um, we're doing an Advent series for a few weeks, and we started last week. Um, and Advent, as we learned last week from Ryan Graydon, is the arrival, the arrival of a notable place, thing, or event. And so we are preparing our hearts and our minds for celebrating the arrival of Jesus on earth. That's what Advent is. So last week, Ryan talked about hope, and we saw biblically that hope means to expect with confidence. It's not just, oh, I hope this will happen. No, we're expecting with confidence that Jesus has come, and we expect confidently that he is coming back. And that's what we hope in. And it's based not in anything that we've done. It's based, here, one second, there. It's based on what he has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, not anything that I have done or you have done. So hope, peace, love, joy, we're only given breadcrumbs of them in this life, right? You know this to be true. But those breadcrumbs are meant to lead us to a person, to a relationship, with Jesus, who can give us the hope, the peace, the love that we crave in relationship with, him, with himself. Now, regarding peace, we all instinctively long for peace. It's woven into the fiber of our being. I mean, we just saw that in this skit, right? And we've spent hours, we've spent tons of money trying to find peace, sometimes even without even realizing it. If only I get that degree, then I'll have made it. If only this person would say, I'm proud of you, then, then I will be all right. Really. If only I get the latest phone, then, you know, life is just going to be amazing. We all crave it. We all seek it. Sometimes even subconsciously. And instinctively, we also know that our longing for peace can only be found in relationship, okay? Consult any love song ever written, right? So uh, I, I remember when I was in men's quartet in high school, which was a blast. If, you, if you're in high school and you have a chance to do that and you can sing, do that. Um, good times. But uh, the Righteous Brothers uh, have this song that, that was kind of our song as my men's quartet, and we sing... You're my soul, you're my heart's inspiration, you're all I've got to get me by. You're my soul, you're my heart's inspiration. Without you, baby, what good am I? It took a lot of discipline to not sing that. <laughs> but think about it. You're my soul. You're my heart's inspiration. Okay? Obviously looking to someone else fill you up, to give you that peace that you so long for. Even the I hate you now love songs, or not, I guess they're not love songs, the I hate you now songs, 
right? Think about uh, Adele. We could have had it all rolling in the deep, okay, which I learned means we would, we would, life would have been awesome. Um, so everyone knows that this can be found in relationship. But, but no one seems to, like, sing about, or at least not very many people sing about how it can be found in the right relationship. See, peace, as defined by the Bible, the word in Hebrew is shalom, and that's the way things ought to be. Everything made right. St. Augustine said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, peace only comes from God's relational presence. God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere, all the time, everywhere present. But that doesn't mean he's always present relationally with every person. Now, we know that peace doesn't come from breathing techniques or aromatherapy or kale, no matter what that crazy lady said. Okay, who was that? <laughs> but um, I've had kale chips. Okay, if you like them, great. Um, don't give them to me. Um, not a lot of peace found there, okay? doesn't come from that. But when God is not relationally present, peace is absent. Peace is synonymous with God's relational presence. And I want to show you that in the Bible this morning. So I want to show you the kind of a timeline of the history of peace throughout the Bible. So first, um, peace is introduced. And so we find that in the first couple pages of our Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve were in relationship with God, and it was great. They had perfect peace. And he said, let there be light. But then peace was destroyed. Genesis 3, as you keep, as you keep flipping through Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Against God, and so there was separation, relational separation. There was no more peace between God and man because Adam and Eve destroyed it. But then peace is sought. So if you look in Genesis 4 all the way to Malachi, the very last uh, pages of the Old Testament, and then the 400 years before the New Testament, before Jesus came as a baby, peace was sought. Not everyone sought peace, but but lots of people were striving and longing for God's relational presence. They were striving for peace by making their own gods. They were striving for peace by trying to be their own God themselves. And we all know that we're left restless because we actually make terrible gods. But then we see that peace is reintroduced. His relational presence is reintroduced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. And so I want to hone in on Luke chapter 2 this morning with you. So if you could turn there with me, that would be awesome. Now, Luke 2, 8 through 14, is a really over-familiar passage. If I was to bet, um, I would guess that 90%, probably more like 95% of you have heard this passage multiple times. So I just want to take a second. This isn't normally what we do, but I think it's important. Let's just take a second and have some silent prayer. 
just you and God, saying, God, this is your word. And even though I'm over-familiar with it, your Holy Spirit wants to bring it to life to my heart this morning. So come and do that. So let's, let's pray that silently to God right now. So God, we need to hear from you. We don't want to just read these words like they're words on any page of any book. This is your words, God. Bring it to life in a special new way to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's stop right there. See, God's relational presence is reintroduced to who? Shepherds. Okay. Yeah, I know that. I've seen the nativity scenes. They're shepherds. No, but you don't understand. Shepherds were lowly members of society. And according to the Jews, they were unclean. They were broken, unwanted troublemakers. They were not priests. They were not kings. They weren't even the middle class. These were the troublemakers. And we, so we see right away, Right away when Jesus comes on the scene, that there is an upside-down kingdom, as Tim Keller says. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And it starts right here, because instead of bringing his glory and his peace to kings, he brings it to a bunch of troublemakers. So I want you to imagine for a second, you're, you're sitting there. Okay? And you're just watching these shepherds before the angel came. Now imagine these guys sitting around a fire. All right? You ever seen an old Western movie? Okay? And they're sitting around a fire. They're, they're not talking about um, cupcakes and Jesus. All right? Their conversation's probably pretty rough. So they're sitting there around the fire, and suddenly an angel shows up. He says, don't be afraid. They're all like, what, what is going on? He says, a Savior's just been born. Go check it out. And they're like, okay. Uh, and then if that's not enough, a whole bunch of angels come and declare glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace. Notice they lead with glory to God. The focus is not humans getting peace and earth getting peace. That's a, that's a byproduct, and that's great, and that's fantastic. But God is getting glory. And God is cool. It's incredible, actually, because we don't deserve it. God gets the most praise by earth receiving peace through Jesus. And he does it first to shepherds. Can you sense God's heart here? God's heart is for the broken, for the troublemakers, for the messed up people. So if you're like, that's me here this morning, God's heart is for you. God has come for you. And wasn't that all of us before Jesus changed our lives? Messed up, broken, and we're still messed up and broken. The only difference is I've, I have Jesus now. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. My sins are forgiven. I'm still so screwed up. We have a Savior who comes for the screwed up. He does it right away in Luke 2. It's incredible. So, so peace here is reintroduced. But then we see in the book of Acts that peace is given. So it's not just a few people who get to rub shoulders with Jesus while he's here on earth and experience peace that way. No, anybody can experience it. So, and it's described really well in Romans. So let's look at Romans chapter 5. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Look at this grocery list of things. God gives us peace, even though we don't deserve it. In verse 8, he comes and loves on us while we're still sinners, even though we deserve to be hated. Verse 9, it says we're justified. For those who believe in Jesus, we're justified. This is your legal standing before God. Okay, it says if a judge would say to you, even though you're completely guilty of a crime, you're not guilty. And Jesus takes our sin-stained, messed-up record and gives us his perfect record. Justification. And then verse 9, the wrath of God is removed and is placed on Jesus. Jesus takes all of the wrath that God justly would pour out on us because of our sin, because he is holy and perfect, and puts it on Jesus. And verse 10 through 11 
talks about reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to restore a relationship between two enemies. So it's not just a legal transaction, justification. It's a relational transaction, reconciliation. Peace is restored. But why did we need peace with God? Well, it says that in this passage as well. In verse 6, it says we were weak. It says we were ungodly. Verse 8, we're sinners. Verse 9 and 10, we deserve the wrath of God. Not only that, we're enemies of God. Without even actively trying to be enemies of God, we are because we're naturally, you know this, we're naturally just all about our own selfish desires. Did you know that you actually cause more brokenness, hurt, and pain in your life than anyone else has caused you? Because of your sin? I have caused more brokenness, hurt, and pain in my life because of my thoughts, my actions, my words than anyone else has caused me. So we're naturally just against what God is against. We're enemies because we're living in rebellion to his perfect ways. Most people think they're sinful, but they could be a little worse. Even Christians. It's why I hear crickets in a room when I ask for prayer requests often. Or when I say, hey, let's just share some sin struggles. Here's mine. And then sometimes, but very rarely, do I just get people going, yeah, I'm struggling with that and that and that. Why? Why does that happen? Because we think we're sinful, but really not that bad. And I don't really need prayer. And I don't really struggle that much. But you're dead wrong. We are all completely messed up in light of the glory and greatness of God. In verse 7 and 8, we see a human analogy. Okay, it says, hardly anyone will die for an upstanding person or for a righteous person. So think about a teacher with a great reputation. You don't really know who they are, but they have a great reputation in the school district. And, and so think of that. You probably wouldn't die for that teacher, Okay. You might die for a teacher who, ha- who had a huge impact on your life. You might do that. That's what it's saying. You might die for a good person, someone who's, who's had that influence on you. But we would never die for a teacher who hated us, who it seemed like they were just out to get us. We've all had those teachers. If you haven't, praise God. <laughs> Wish I was you. Yeah, <laughs> but... But before a perfect and holy God, no one is righteous. It says a couple pages before in Romans 3.10 that no one's righteous, not even one. So it's not just like us dying for people that we hate, like a teacher that, that um, is upset with us and, and we don't like them at all. Okay, it's not just like that. It's like us dying for people who hate us and will always hate us. That's what God did. came and died for people who without him reaching in to their lives would always hate him. I want you to back up in Romans 5. Look at verse 5. At the end it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See now, if you've believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have peace. 
You have God's relational presence. You have peace with God. Look at, back at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace himself is living in you, loving on you. That's what verse 5 is saying. So peace is given. So we look back at our history of peace. And lastly, peace is perfected. We see that in Revelation 21, verses 2 through 4. And you can just read on the screen with me. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a beautiful picture. Peace will be perfected. But here we are in the in-between, in the already, not yet, right? Peace is offered and, and given for those, who us, for those who have believed, and it'll be perfected in heaven, but what about now? Certainly wasn't peaceful bringing my kids into church today. Why do I still experience so much anxiety, despair, trouble, heartache? Because peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God. So let's end by looking at the last stage in history of peace that I skipped over. It's peace sustained. Right now, God's relational presence sustained. So if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. This is an incredible passage on peace and how to live in this stage right now where peace is sustained. We see that all through the New Testament. It's not just this passage, but this, I think, is the best one. So Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amidst anxiety, amidst trouble, In trials, amidst fear, God is present. I want you to notice in verse 5, the little phrase that's often skipped over because everyone wants to claim the whole uh, verse 7, the peace of God surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, but how does that happen? Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. That is the key to this whole passage. How do you rejoice always? How do you find joy in any circumstance? How do you not be anxious about anything? That sounds daunting. It is daunting. How do you, how do you tap into that 
peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. You do it by recognizing what's already true, that the Lord is at hand, that God's relational presence, his peace is already in you. Just remember it. God is here with me, and that changes everything. If I remembered that, if you remember that in every situation, peace would be sustained while chaos is going on around you. And the key to recognizing that God is at hand is in verse 6. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's thankful prayer. Thankful prayer. So my friend, a few years ago, died randomly from forgetting to take his insulin. He forgot to take it, and then he continued to forget because, well, he couldn't think straight. Gone. But God is here. When I was in the midst of that, God was there and led me to Psalm 13 that you can check out on your own that ministered to me. But God was there and I happened to be surrounded by a bunch of my great friends when I found out the news. But God was there and knows what it's like to lose someone. He lost his only son. But God is there, and he is using that experience of mine to minister to you right now, hopefully. What if you're sick and your kids are driving you nuts? May have happened this week. God is there, and he's given me a job with sick days, with paid sick days. That's thankful prayer, okay? But God is here, and he's given me kids, and I love my kids. God is here, and he understands the physical and emotional pain that I'm going through. He went through way worse. God is here, and he gives strength to the weak. What if you're walking into a really tense family situation for the holidays, and you're like, man, what if Aunt Bertha says this, and Uncle Ted does that again? Okay, well, I just, I don't know how I'm going to cope. I don't, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm sure that's none of you in, that, in this room, Right? Just remember, God is there with you. He's going to empower you to shut up when you need to and open your mouth when you need to. God is there with you. He understands the inner struggle going on inside. God's there with you, and he's going to empower you to do what you need to do or not do what you need to do. God is there, and he's given me a family. It's broken and it's messed up as it is. See, when we focus on God and not me, and my ever-changing circumstances and emotions and problems, his peace is already mine through the finished work of Jesus. This is a promise in verse 7, not to stitch on a pillow apart from the rest of this passage, but it's a promise we can claim if we realize that God is here with me, and I mean thankful in prayer, then this promise is, is, will come true in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guaranteed peace in all circumstances. Charles Spurgeon says this about this phrase in verse 7. It is not only beyond a common understanding, 
but it passes all understanding. Some have said it means that the ungodly man cannot understand it. That statement's true, but it's not a tenth of the whole meaning, for even he who enjoys it cannot understand it. It is, a, it is deeper, it is broader, it is sweeter, it is more heavenly than the joyful saint himself can tell. He enjoys what he cannot understand. What a mercy that such a thing is possible, for otherwise our joys would be narrow indeed. Reason has its limits far more narrow than joy. When we experience this peace that surpasses all understanding, we'll guard our hearts and our minds, and we won't even be able to comprehend how sweet and beautiful and great that peace is. Isn't that great? That's what Spurgeon is saying. He who enjoys it can't understand it. What a mercy, what a grace, what love from God our Savior. So as we've seen through Scripture, what St. Augustine said is really true. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us all to find our rest, our peace in you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that that you've already done it. You've already given it to us. It's freely ours. So I pray that you give us grace in whatever situations we're walking into over the holidays. Give us the grace to recognize your presence. Give us the grace to recognize that we have a lot of reasons to be thankful and then Pray thankfully in the midst of them, Lord. And I pray that each person in here would experience your peace that surpasses all understanding, not in some ethereal, uh, um, mystic way, Lord, but, but in a very tangible way, experience that you're right there with them. And they would claim that truth and believe that truth. And I pray for those in here who are not at peace with you, God, who don't know you, that today will be the day that they say, I want peace with God. I need peace with God. That you would transform their hearts. That today people would walk away going, I know Jesus. I'm his and he's mine. Nothing can separate me from him. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.